The Planted Mindset podcast is sponsored by Sassy 10, a new online fitness and nutrition program designed specifically for you if you're a menopausal mum who feels like your body of your 20s is a distant memory. You've lost your energy, motivation, but most of all, your sparkle. During your journey, you'll be supported, listened to, held accountable, motivated and re-energized to transform not only your body, but your mindset too. You'll be given everything you need to sculpt a stronger, sexier you in just 10 weeks to regain your sassy. Follow Sassy in 10 on Instagram and find out more by clicking on the link in the bio or hit the link in the show notes to start today. The hardest part is starting, but you'll be so glad you did. Welcome to the Planted Mindset podcast and episode where I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Angela Clack. She is a psychologist, a licensed professional counsellor, empowerment coach and consultant practicing in the state of New Jersey. She is a successful author and motivational speaker and her passion has been to provide emotional support and empowerment to women who are experiencing emotional distress and feelings of low self-worth. So we delve into that saying of imposter syndrome, lack of self-worth, what those feelings um, produce, what and why women suffer from them and how they can overcome them. So this is a corker of an episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Planted Mindset podcast and this is episode 26 and we have gone over the pond, not me literally, um, but I'm delighted to be bringing you my next guest from the US of A. It is Dr. Angela Clack. Um, she has got an immense amount of experience and knowledge, expertise, um, which we're going to try and condense just a tiny little bit in show today for you. So welcome, Dr. Angela. How are you doing? I am well. Thank you for the invitation. I am excited to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Could you introduce yourself in your own words to the listeners for me? I'd love to. So I'm Dr. Angela Clack. I am a licensed psychotherapist and psychologist, and I practice in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I'm a wife. I am a bonus mom. I'm a bonus grandma, a daughter, and a sibling. I am in private practice right now, and primarily I see women. 95% of, of my practice is women, mostly women of color. I have a few men that have come in and out of the practice. My passion is helping women and working on women's interests. Um, I also do some coaching and coaching around body confidence, body positivity, um, and some personal development. All uh, fantastic topics. And they're some of the things that I'd like us to delve into today because obviously you've got a mass amount of uh, knowledge and expertise, but what is the biggest problem that you're probably seeing right now post-COVID, Dr. Angela, or can I call you Angela, okay. um, with what women are struggling to deal with at the moment? It's an interesting dynamic because I have two camps of folks that, that are seeking out. So I have the people who I was already seeing and have been seeing maybe for the last year and then subsequent pandemic, post-COVID, they were women who largely came in for mood and anxiety disorders, because that's really what I specialize in, mood, anxiety, and then traumatic events. So I've been working with them around that. Now come the pandemic, newer people who just started with me are coming as a result of the stress of the pandemic, which also shows up in mood, anxiousness, and some traumatic things, because one of the things that you and I are aware of is the number of physical losses and deaths as a result of the pandemic. And so much of my work is around people who've lost loved ones. So I have a lot of grief counseling that I've been doing. And then some of it's just an adjustment, you know, changes in job, job loss, financial things that all impact how women show up in the world, um, feeling less than their best selves. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's 
such i mean it's going to be uh history it is history in the making um i mean this is something that we are getting through and we will get through it not without its loss its hardship its worry um and as you say anxiety for not just women obviously for for everyone i but i appreciate that we're talking for slant about women today um you mentioned there about how women feel and uh, picking up on that, you know, feeling less than anxious, uh, imposter syndrome like these are all um, symptoms or, or um, I don't know, just things that, that women deal with. And again, I'm not saying that they're not things that men uh, struggle with, but do you think women have a harder time with that because of the amount of responsibilities that they have to juggle? I do. And, and then I'll answer that and I'll answer it this way too. There's an additional layer to imposter syndrome for women of color because of, now I think we're also during the um, height of the pandemic, we were in a bit of civil unrest and racial trauma. So all of that discrimination, that's another thing that women show up in my practice for is workplace discrimination and um, uh, uh, mistreatment um, mm. around gender, around race, and then the intersection of gender and race. So imposter syndrome really shows up that way because many of these women who are Hispanic or Black or, or Caribbean have an awesome skill set. They're, they're overqualified much of the time, but often people are intimidated or threatened by that. They come with all of this good stuff and then they feel like they don't belong. They interview very well. They are the right person for the job. They get the job and then they're put in these positions where they feel like they're not being appreciated, not being respected, not being given credit for the work that they do because someone sees them as inferior or less than or treats them that way, they then internalize that. And that's where I think imposter syndrome sets in, is that, well, if I guess people see me this way and are treating me this way, then I must therefore be in some way this way. But I know that I'm not because I have the college degrees, I have the years of experience, I've been a CEO. This isn't measuring up. Now I feel like I'm a fraud. Is all of that work that I did, did it really, did I really do that? Like, do I have these awards and plaque on my wall that says that I did? I do. I have the receipts to say that I'm <laughs> that I'm knowledgeable, that I'm that I'm credentialed and I'm vetted and verified but I don't feel like I belong. I don't fit into this. I don't fit in. It must be me. That's where, that's the experience that I'm working with women around reminding them of what they bring, what they showed up with in these opportunities and what's happening around them contextually, environmentally, organizational culture, what's happening in a micro sense and a macro sense. So what's happening in our society and then how it filters down from leadership, like it's a systemic issue. So mm -hmm. I'm helping them to pull themselves out of it and look at it from that regard. Like this is a bigger issue. You're, mm -hmm. the, you're, you're in it. So step out for a moment and look at it systemically and say, so is it me? Which maybe some things we could work on. We could grow in some way sometimes. But if I got here, I had to do some hard work to get here. Yeah, I mean, so much that we, we could talk about with, with what you've just said there. One thing that uh, springs to mind in particular is the fact that that imposter syndrome, like all that unworthiness, and like you say, that marrying it up with uh, the qualifications and then not believing that it's almost like you're two different people was that really me did I really do that and then that judgment I know you've got that extra layer on there obviously because of race but I think it goes back to childhood um, for most people with with imposter syndrome is not because of 
um, it's, it's something that may have happened when we're very young that we don't even maybe even remember. We may not have been acknowledged on something we said or we did, uh, not because it, it, it can be traumatic, but it, it may not always be. There's always three sides to a situation or a story, yours, theirs, and what actually happened. And when we're so impressionable at a young age, we can very quickly get hurt, can't we? If we don't get that acknowledgement, that acceptance, that praise um, as, as a child, not because someone potentially did anything wrong, but it's what we take on board. And then we take that as a child into the world and then we feel less than. So we try to back that up with qualifications, knowledge, and then you've got this extra layer of other <laughs> you know difficulties to have to contend with the outside world and that perception and then being judged and you know and then it's almost like you're fulfilling the role that you started in the first place so it's a it's a bit of a trap isn't it um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so do you do you go back to situations or or, or do you get your uh, female clients to go back to you know emotions and how they felt as a child I do. Awesome question. I do because one of the things that they they make some sometimes they can make the connections, but other times we do it through um, unpacking certain things that we talk about. And I always tell people we internalize very early messages growing up from our primary caregivers. So if you grew up in a household where you always had to be on time or early for things, being late was discouraged. Um, making mistakes was frowned upon. If you were told that you have to work harder than everybody else and you must be better than everybody else. If you grow up with that kind of rigidity and that pressure, it can turn into a sense of perfectionism. That if I don't do it this way, if I don't measure up, therefore I'm a failure. So I must have to be perfect. Because I had, as a child, I had to be perfect to satisfy and make my parents happy. So therefore, I learned to make people happy, to approve of, to like me, to accept me. I must therefore be perfect. That's an impossible, that's a setup. It's impossible. But I carry that into my relationships, including relationships in my career. So absolutely, we have to go back and try to un undo some of those things in the sense that let's talk about other ways to look at how that message is impacting you. And let's see how we can turn it into something that's much more realistic, something that feels less than perfect because we are less than perfect. And that's a hard thing to do when you live that way with that mindset for 30 years. You're now having to figure out, oh, that really wasn't a healthy way of thinking. Like, no, it really isn't. Because now you get into self-sabotage and the imposter syndrome. So there's so many fallout things that, that women are working on all the time it's, you know it's exhausting it oh is god exhausting yeah i'm smiling all the way through because i just <laughs> like it it's resonates. to be a woman <laughs> yeah it just resonates so much uh, uh experiences my, my own clients it just i'm just going yep 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 and then as you said obviously a woman of of, of a different race the the extra issues um that they then have to encounter on top of that as well i mean then just it's like um you, you mentioned obviously about uh, self-sabotage and that's one of the ones that i wanted to go into next because you did uh co-author the book didn't you um yes. breaking free overcoming self-sabotage yes. um were they was that book written um using case studies was it done from just that overall experience or in the book because i obviously we we've only met on clubhouse uh, recently so i wouldn't have read the book um but i do like the the sound of it um <laughs> <laughs> but you know how did that book come about was it through yeah experiences or what you know to deal with how to overcome that self-sabotage so the book is an anthology so it's a number of women coming together under one coaching um program and as a result of that, she kind of solicits, hey, who wants to contribute to this work? I chose to contribute to that work because I was in that space of self-sabotage. 
And then I knew how I, how I worked to get out of it. And I said, this is what my clients are going to go through. So I wrote it from my personal experience, but I also wrote it from um, my clients' experiences. And so the way that I come to understand self-sabotage for me was this constant fear of failure. And so I was the one who grew up in a, in a household of... Um, I'm going to sneeze. Sorry. I was that one that grew up in a household of six kids, but two of us are the younger ones and then the four are older. And so okay. the four were always working. And then the next two came along in my parents' life where my parents were a little bit more affluent. And so the, the only one who went to college was me. So everybody right. poured their resources into me. Like she's going to school, so she doesn't have to do this. She doesn't. So I got away with a lot of things because we want you in the books. Um, so imagine that I'm the brainchild. So, you Pressure. know, great, right? You go, grades are important. How I show up as a reflection of my parents is important. How I write is, you know, all of that stuff became important. And so I subsequently, later in life, college got a little harder. Grad school got even harder. And there were times where I was like, you know what? I, I can't do this. I'm just, you know, what am I, what am I doing? I'm just, this is hard because now everybody is smart. Now, you know, when I'm younger, it was just me. Now, college and grad school, we're all smart. We all had to be smart to get here. And I felt myself kind of slacking off things like, you know, I'm just, I can, I'm good with just my master's. I don't have to do this doctorate thing, or I'm just good with this. And I found myself falling short of things that I knew that. So, I did could you do. feel like you weren't good enough once the? Yeah, the, it was like I, I don't think I'm peers. Yeah, I don't think I, this is the place for me. Um, but the thing of saying that is that I never stopped working hard. I would okay. say it, but I never stopped. So it was like it was like mentally I was trying to give up, but and in the but in my work I knew that I was not. So I kept making good grades. I would complain. I would sometimes slack off, but I knew. I knew what I was doing. I'm like, why are you, you're, you're sabotaging success here. You can't do this. Um, and that's what I said to myself, like, this is bigger than you. So, so many people have invested in you. So no, you're not going to give up on your dream. And so I had to push myself. And that's kind of what I do with the clients who are struggling with self-sabotage. I say, well, let's go back to the core message of what's creating for you um, a sense that you can't do something. Why did you stop? Why are you quitting? Why are you giving up? And it and it goes to two things consistently with all the women I've worked with: a fear of failure and a fear of success. Mm. Is you know, that also the the responsibility of someone else's dream on your shoulders as well? The expectations, of- the expectations that other people have. That's exactly right, right? Which is success. Like people are like, how do you how do you have a fear of success? Because when you are successful, the expectation is that you will continue to be successful and you will, everything gets bigger, grander and harder. And you're like, do I really want that responsibility? Cause I'm good. I'm like, okay, I can do this. But I'm also, I'm, I'm, also, not, now. Right, <laughs> I'm, right. I'm also not challenged and I'm also bored. <laughs> but if I go over here and I'm really good, then people are going to want more from me. And I don't know if I want that pressure. So that's the fear. That's how fear of success shows up. And do you think that that you gravitate between both sides literally all of the time? I mean, that's what's probably quite draining, um, and that inner voice, um, because there'll be moments when you're not, uh, you know, maybe flying a little bit more. You've got the good grades. You've got that um euphoria for a nanosecond good yeah. grade yeah you know yeah i can cope with this and then all right. of a sudden then boom you're back down again so you're having to deal with those emotions all the way through which is incredibly exhausting it is and i do think it goes back and forth until you settle into that place where you start to embrace and like who you are and you realize that i am who i am i like who i am i like what i do and I am able to make choices and decisions for myself that reflect success without pressure. I can, I can do this. I can really do this. And that's where, again, I think, Natasha, the imposter syndrome rears its head again, because the more successful you become, your circle changes. 
your, your group of influencers and who you influence this changes. And sometimes you'll think like, do I really know what I'm talking about? You know, you're in this, you're, you're on this stage with panel of people where they're like geniuses and you're like, how, how did I get up here? Right. So I, I have, I've been in that situation before. <laughs> I've heard that with um, uh, entrepreneurs, founders as well, you know, startups and and this is what's so interesting and I think this is why it's so good to share these stories and open up because everyone feels it but we all feel like that we're going to be found out, I shouldn't be here, it's, you know, they know what they're talking about, I don't and yet we don't know that someone who's sitting next to us saying exactly the same thing thinking she looks like she's got her shit together you know like but that's because you're concentrating thinking i don't think i've got my shit together <laughs> and i think confidence is taught i think you people are born with confidence sometimes but i also think it's taught and so two people could be in the same room have the same level of wisdom expertise and knowledge and one person is just so much better at commanding a presence with language. And so it doesn't mean the other person doesn't know or isn't as well gifted in an area. It's that someone has really mastered the language around that particular topic and can really command the attention of a room. And the other person hasn't learned to do that. So again, imposter syndrome says that, oh, she sounds so intelligent and so smart. You know the same stuff. You just have to step into that space of confidence. And I've had to train myself in that probably since I started speaking maybe 10 years ago. I wasn't, I was always a quiet, smart, quiet one. But I realized you don't get to have influence and impact if you're quiet. You have to use your voice. And I knew that I had to use my voice, particularly in the mental health field. Because now we're just now opening up the conversation around mental health. But I knew that if you're going to be an influencer, you use your voice. You have a gift, but you use your voice. Yeah, that's so powerful. And and it's, it's nice to hear it in such a way that it's, yeah, not everyone. We're all imperfectly perfect. I've used this this quote before and I, I profess that it's not mine. Um, but <laughs> it's... Uh, it's the f the fact that we you know gravitate on different subjects so like you say in our, our field of expertise we we may have just spoken about it we may have just researched something so we're just on the button for that whereas someone perhaps they studied it or they learned it but they just haven't been focusing on that you know more recently so they're, they're a little bit rusty but then then that affects the confidence and it's interesting you say about the confidence and how two individuals can be in the same area for teaching, but how they're taught. Because when I grew up, I certainly saw failure as a bad word. I saw not achieving, succeeding as I'm not good enough. Um, and it's only on becoming an adult that I've understood that failure and from, from learning is feedback and it's actually a positive thing providing you learn from it and providing that you because let's just you know put it down to the simple thing of a child putting a, a finger on a hot stove that's feedback ouch I won't do that again if they were going near it and didn't touch it and you said don't touch it don't touch it well they, they haven't learned anything there is that failure it is that that sharp <laughs> you know when we do something wrong or we foul it's that pain that that actually fires different neurons in the brain to make us remember yeah. um, and that's how we we learn so it's not a bad thing what why were we taught in such a way that it was or is it maybe education is changing but again boys to girls and the way they're taught has been different as well um you know and that confidence that that men generally have more of an ego going into a room for a situation than a female certainly from funding perspective in in you know businesses um you know they'll be the speakers like you just mentioned you had to learn to speak you'd be shouted down a man would be quite confident to talk the woman would be less so fear of judgment again what what's your thoughts on the education side of of that and, and what could we do to to help change it 
So very early on, I think socialization has kept women in the background while men traditionally in, in gender stereotypical roles and traditional gender stereotypical roles, women had tended to do, I feel like the background work and didn't get the credit and men were in the front. I feel like that has certainly shifted. I see very confident 89 year olds and people call them sassy right? Oh, she's sassy or she's, she's a smarty pants. And we have to change that language around to she's bold, like she's assertive, she's outspoken and not in a negative way. We have to encourage these young girls and young boys to speak up for themselves. One of the things as a therapist, the reason why I'm so keen to that is because when you've been traumatized as a child, your voice gets shut down. And because of that, you've learned to keep secrets or you've learned not to be seen. And what better way to be invisible than not to have a voice? And so, so many of the women that I work with who are survivors of some kind of trauma is helping them find their voice. And so and shifting that, I want that for young people too, is that someone may say, oh, she's loud, she's this. And I'm like, okay, let's let's turn this into she's maybe passionate, you know, we have to be careful of the power of the language of words that we use and labeling people, because they will sometimes wear those labels, and it really is negative, so I don't want someone to take on if they're loud, it could be she's passionate, so when she speaks about something, her voice is louder than the rest of the crowd, but sometimes you say she's loud, it could be like, oh, she's, um, it's more negative, I don't always see that as some, so changing the, the way that we speak about people or give them identifiers and labels and help them to identify themselves. How, how would you like to describe yourself? How do you describe yourself? How did you turn around a negative situation in your lifetime, either as a child or maybe a young person or a young adult? How do you change that around to a woman now? How do you show up now in the world that's different? Or how do you want to show up now in the world? that's different than when you were younger. One of the things that a lot of women also um, work with is they were bullied in high school. I can't believe how many women have been the victim of bullying. And then what is interesting is that they work in work environments where they're bullied. It's almost like it never stopped because they just didn't have an opportunity to get the skills to not allow that to be their story. So they were young people who were bullied and timid and shut down and quiet, and they become employees where they're intimidated, shut down, and bullied. So we make the connection, and then we say, okay, how do you want that to look now? Well, clearly, I don't want to be bullied anymore, so we have to work on boundary setting. We have to work on confidence building. We have to work on helping you to assert and stand up for yourself. And it starts within. So you have to work, do some work inside in order for it to then be transferred into outside relationships. So for many women, this is a lifetime journey. They're, we're not done our work. We're 40, 50, 60. We're not done. We're constantly teaching people, which is why it goes back to it's draining. <laughs> it goes back to that. It's so true. And again, there's there's so much I could uh, pick out of that, um, Angela. But the, the, I remember reading a short story on my way to work up in the city in London and uh, in this book. And I remember I was literally pushing the buttons to come off the train. And the last thing on it said, no one thinks less of you unless you give consent. Oh, my gosh. That's a quote that I had in my first private practice because Eleanor Roosevelt. That's her quote. And the way she has said it, it's been rewritten a hundred times. No one can make you feel inferior without your permission. It's and, rewritten so many different ways. Yeah. And that's when you, when that was a light bulb moment for the situations that I encountered that actually, now I'm not going to say my fault, because again, that's not the right language to use, but taking ownership and not thinking it's the outside world projecting onto you, but that you are projecting out to the outside world. That's, that takes some um, <laughs> to courage to even become aware of, acknowledge, and then try mm -hmm. to change. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So one of the work, one of the ways that I work with women, I, I encourage a lot of journaling because it's introspection, it's reflection. And we often don't take time out of our life to just sit and think about us. We are always taking care of other people. <laughs> and the thing is that um, I think that there's another one that many women will find that they deal with is if they have been someone that's given a lot of their time and energy to others, and then they choose to reveal slightly, uh, whether that's on their own career path or whatever it is, that how they again are negatively um, dealt with by pulling back, selfish, you know, all of these, when when that's not true, it's just you're not giving as much as you used to. You know, again, it should be flipped on its head, but you should be grateful that you had me do X, Y, Z for as long as I did, but now I'm pulling back. But again, it is that judgment of, um, and I don't, I don't want it to be about men and women and that judgment, but there does sometimes seem to be a different tune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Largely for women, it induces the sense of guilt that I'm yeah. taking out time for myself or I'm setting boundaries healthy boundaries because I've allowed people to misuse my time, my resources or myself for so many years that when I do stand up for myself, anyone who doesn't respect boundaries finds that offensive. And then I want people to like me. So I don't want anyone to offend me. So I go back to having lenient boundaries. So it's a, it's a continuous cycle until women really can work themselves into that place where they are so much stronger in standing up for what they believe in, which is themselves. Yeah, I I love what you said there, and um, you, you've you've given so many tips within everything you've said. But could you quite succinctly round them up of say three things women could do? I I know obviously I said you 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 have said them, but but in in a nice way that empowers women to say right, okay, I can, I can remember that, and these are the things that I want to focus on. The first thing that immediately comes to mind is that I matter. That I matter. My choices matter. My health matters. That I cannot help anyone else or pour into anybody else to build them up if I'm not first, my tank isn't full. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to set boundaries around I'm not okay and to say no. It is okay to say no. You may say it in different ways. It may look like, um, not today. Let me check my schedule and I get back to you in a week. So it may look like you, I mean, just don't have to say no to everything, but those things that no longer serve me, I'm going to take time to think about before I give an answer. And the last thing is take care of yourself, mind, body, soul, and spirit. You are made up of so many things. The fact that imposter shows up in one part of your life means there's a a whole three-fourths part of your life that still is amazing. And and, and that if you think about those amazing parts of yourself and remember and reflect on those, then when it does show up, you go back to that and say, no, you know, that's just one part that's challenging me. There's so much more to me that is wonderful and amazing. And if people can't see that, that's not my problem. That's their problem. I love that too. I, those are such good points and, and so beautifully said as well, Dr. Angela. And I think there's, um, it's been said by, uh, there's a, a fitness influencer. Um, no, that would be unfair. Fitness expert, uh, Brian Keane, that I've had as a guest, a podcast guest. He's been ah. quite, um, I've, I, he's definitely inspired me in his journey. And one of the quotes that he's actually said is no, uh, don't, worry about what other people think of you it's none of your business <laughs> i have heard that and i didn't know who it was so thank you i've heard that mm-hmm. i don't know if he's taken that himself but he's in he, i know one that he definitely said that his mama said to him um you may not be everyone's cup of tea but you'll be someone shot of whiskey and i think it just helps <laughs> i to, love that <laughs> 
give a bit of a perspective about yourself that it's okay to like you said because it makes us feel nervous it makes us feel edgy if we then set these boundaries and then we feel that then we're being judged and yeah and then it unsettles that balance of what are we doing who are we what should we be but also that inner voice that when it starts sort of critiquing it's probably because we're pushing growth and and it wants to keep us safe so we're 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 getting into that growth zone so we've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable so when we hear that voice just that reframing of that you know acknowledge it as always but say actually do you know what i'm i'm probably on the right track here then that means that i've got to keep on forging forward so um i I love everything that you've said there thank you I'd, yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to talk for hours. I know. <laughs> so many things that we could dive into, but I appreciate your time, uh, you know, for, for even coming on here. So let's um, um, just ask, I just want to go into a couple of questions about you directly. Um, because you, you said, you know, you were the youngest of six children um, and and obviously the one that went to college and all those resources poured into you. Who was your inspiration as that child? And who is your inspiration now? So the inspiration as that child is my father. My father was um, very poor growing up and worked his way up to owning his business. And he was my the first entrepreneur that I ever knew before I even knew what an entrepreneur was. And he took care of six kids on a very meager salary to the point where he grew a business that my brother now has after my father passed away. And so I just watched him build a legacy and it's not something that I ever want to forget because now that I look back, I can reflect on why we didn't get to do a lot of things because he worked seven days a week because he did that to afford us all of the things that we needed, but also that we wanted. Who influences me now? My mother is 94 years old. Oh, well done. She is a survivor of COVID. She never had to go on a respirator, was in the hospital for almost a month and is still in her same sharp mind. Oh, it's her same sharp mind and um, continues to be a pillar in our community. Wow. Uh, I'm I'm so glad I asked that question um, (laughs) to you in particular because what, what wonderful answer and yeah i mean my, my mother-in-law is 94 as well wow. luckily enough she hasn't uh, caught covid but again as sharp as attack as well and and you know if anyone sees her they always give a second take you can't <laughs> be, there must be something wrong with that birth certificate you know it's got you'll right. be 10 years younger at least um yes. i just for for me that's my goal to get to 90, but with all my marbles. Yes, 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 yes. It's important <laughs> There's no to be point getting there. <laughs> Yeah, so I just, you know, for her, to, yeah. you know, and her, she still can see and she still can hear. And, you know, it's just yes. because those faculties do tend to, to wear out. Um, but, yeah, yeah she's, she's, she's on, the, on the button. So that is, uh, I, I can absolutely see why yeah. she's an inspiration. And also to your father as an entrepreneur, um, it's never easy um that role of of building a business there's always worry and obviously with a a family of six yeah hands hands up to him uh, fantastic (laughs) um so going on from that then what would be the most important thing you've learned in your life and how has it changed you most important thing not to quit not to give up um watching so many people around me who did quit and did give up. And even days that I want to, one of the things I learned is that you just take what you get from those experiences to propel you and to kind of just keep moving you forward. That's not always going to be easy, but just not to quit. Don't give up. That is a good one. And I'd love to to add on or, or ask a question about that. Where's the difference between when it's sensible to pivot though? Oh my goodness! I not give up, but but you know there you know the saying hit your head against the brick wall. Sometimes, yeah, you know you can't keep on doing the same thing and getting the same result that's not working. Absolutely, that's more of a pivot. But but when's when do you know? When it no longer serves you, because you can quit before you've done enough to see if you could have done it. 
So if I run up against one obstacle and I don't even try alternatives, that's quitting. It's like, I'm just not going to do it. If I've tried a couple of different things and I've seen a little bit of it, get me something here and a little bit of there, then it's time to pivot and see if I go back to the drawing board and re-strategize. Will I get some momentum that will get me into the place that I want to go? Cool. No, I like that because, you know, that is I've heard that before and it's it is about a mindset as well. Um, and I'm quite um, definitely a stickler for that in in my fitness uh, sport. And I think that's why sport plays such a good part in life as well in that mindset of not ever giving up. But it's knowing that caveat of when to be sensible as well and, and, and mediating that balance of not letting yourself off the hook. Um, but also not giving up too soon. I think there's uh, seen it on Instagram before where you see two men digging, you know, a tunnel and one's walking back. He's further ahead than the other one. Um, mm. and he's just that close to the diamond, but he's walked away and, you know, the other one's going to wow. carry on getting it. And it's because you never know where, whatever it is you're searching for, yep. whatever goal you're, how far away or how close you are. That's a great point. You never know how close or far you are away from your breakthrough. Yeah. And you could give up just shy of when it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dear. That, that's, that's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, on that note, um, I'm going to go into the quick fire round. So I have... Okay. Um, get my my phone so i have 15 questions um they're just either or or the first thing that comes into your head but the difficulty is that i'm going to have you against a timer so (laughs) (laughs) So this is where you know it's not about being um yeah uh, it's not about intellect actually it's just about how quick you can come out with your answers so um but this is where i find a lot about my guests and I, I love okay. this part so hopefully <laughs> i'll speak clearly enough for you to to hear me so are you ready i am ready okay off we go savory or sweet sweet <laughs> beach or snow oh beach coffee or tea coffee favorite sport oh, i don't really have a sport uh basketball most scared of learning how to swim <laughs> your favorite body part my arms ketchup or mayonnaise ketchup shower or bath shower dog or cat dog netflix or amazon netflix burpees or pull-ups burpees favorite actor oh gosh oh always gets them <gasps> Oh, there's so many. I don't know if I have a favorite one. Um, first one that comes into your head. Uh, even the first. Let's go one on to the next in. question. Yes, best film, yes. and that might help. Best film. Mm. Oh my gosh, this is hard. A best film. There's so many different films that I like that I cannot think of. Oh. Oh my gosh! I will. I like the Titanic. Titanic. Yeah. So, so what? What actor or actress? Kate Winslet or Leonardo? Oh, Leonardo. Totally. Okay. And favorite book? Um, Hungry by Doctor Smith. Oh, okay. Hungry. And a hidden talent. ATV sports. Ah. Okay. <laughs> I love four wheelers. <laughs> so this is the thing the questions get everyone is that's probably the the one that gets the people the most is when they've got to think of a film yes and that's one i watch a lot of but there are probably other films that i have fallen in love with and i just can't i think years ago my favorite movie i don't think people, people probably don't even know it was the sisterhood of the traveling pants i love that movie it was about four young girls and their friendship and these pair of pants that was common between them that somehow, no matter what size or shape they were, when they would wear them and send them to the next one, they could fit them. And the stories oh, that, that and the stories that weave their life. And um, one of the girls um, spent some time in Italy with her grandmother. It was, or Spain maybe. It was beautiful. I love that movie. Now that I think about it, oh. I would have picked, picked that movie. <laughs> Oh, I'll have to. I'll have to have a look at that. I like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. Um, I. I don't tend to 
watch too much TV as as much, but but when I do, I do really like um, uh, Tom Hanks as, as an actor. Oh I just, my gosh! Yeah, I just think he's such an amazing guy. He's an amazing um, actor. He is, and uh, I do really like Jim Carrey as well. For he's he's and and again, what another amazing guy. Um, yeah. As as for oh, there's so many women as well. But, I know, you know we, I know. Don't, don't have the time to go there, so um, I should have perhaps pulled uh, a couple of female act- actresses. Julia Roberts, I really like Julia Roberts. <laughs> um, so, where can people find you, Doctor Angela? I typically, right now, I'm hanging out on social media and Instagram, and that's at Clack Angela. Same thing with Facebook. My um, handle is um, Clack Angela. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. I got to get better with my connections on there. And of course, on the Clubhouse platform. Yes, where where we uh, were in a room together, weren't we? So yes. I just heard yes. your amazing voice and your contribution and, and, and reached out to you. Uh, based on that fact, um, who would be a good guest that you think uh, would be happy to come on the Planted Mindset podcast if you want to have a think about that? Um, and then I just want to say out of 10, with one being pants and 10 being perfectly splendid, how would you rate this episode? I ask all my guests. Oh, 10. Perfectly splendid. It was awesome. <laughs> I enjoyed the questions. I love the format. You're a great interview. I felt so comfortable. Absolutely. 10. <laughs> it's in, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's interesting, again, how you understand about someone on how they answer that question. I get well who would say anything less than that I mean no they get there <laughs> no they, they don't they don't ever say anything because uh, that's why I've worded it such a way they're never going to say anything <laughs> negative about me but they'll say you a 10 but me uh an eight or something oh 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 oh, oh okay 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 I can or, see people doing that I can yeah, see people doing that you know it's yes. like again that mindset thing isn't it yes yes, so, yes, um, yes, yes. I'm gonna uh, say we're both 10. <laughs> thank you thank you well I, I i would give you i'd give you an 11. oh thank you <laughs> um because i appreciate you taking the time to Absolutely. come and do the podcast and i'm going to leave with an outro quote by william penn time it is what we want most but what we use worst and do you have a outro quote for me yes and i want people to think beyond the literal sense um, and I got this whole revelation epiphany during this most run, most recent run that I did. And I realized, and I said, you have to learn how to breathe before you can run. And so it's okay. not just about the physical running, but the breathing is you have to know how to be conditioned and ready and prepared and planned before you can soar. So you have to learn how to breathe before you can run. I love that. I love that from from two angles, well, three really, actually. One, obviously, from the the mental aspect. Two, for for the running, and three from the physiology. Oh, say it now, physiology. Um, yes. Because I was literally just listening to something and the power of the breath and why it's so important and how we're supposed to do it. And I'm always encouraging my clients to breathe through their nose and why we should nasal breathe, the benefits that it gives, so the, the physiological ones. And also talking about mental fitness uh, from a mental health perspective, why the breath is so important in helping calm that central nervous system down, exactly. the physiological sigh. Um, and that's a little tool that people can have in their tool book box, even uh, where you take an inhalation through the nose, uh, followed by a quick second inhalation as much as you can and then breathe out slowly yeah. out of your mouth. Because what you're doing is obviously you're activating that diaphragm and the deep you're getting to the deeper lungs, the lower part of the lungs when you nasal breathe. But what you're doing also is with that diaphragm opening up and squashing down, you're uh, giving the heart, you're squeezing the heart, the volume, obviously the, the heart doesn't change, but the volume and basically that movement enables either more blood to go through the heart or lesser. So then that changes the speed at which the blood flows and obviously when you have a slower blood flow going around then you're not as stressed your heart rate goes down you therefore then are de-stressed and it's, it. it's so simple isn't it about mm. like the breathing that we can do it and it just I, I love that quote because it's such a simple thing but i could pretty much say that over 80 percent of us 
I'm not doing we it. don't we don't do it efficiently right we're doing we it don't all the time do but yep we don't do it efficiently and that's what i learned when i was running i was like i couldn't have made it as far as i did if i didn't know how to breathe yeah. and i had to train myself how to breathe yeah exactly and there, there's so many uh, benefits obviously of the the capillaries in the muscles of when you do get that breathing yeah. what you're doing for your body but not just obviously the muscles for your heart for your brain Oh, we could go off onto another tangent, but I, I'm aware, <laughs> I appreciate not to. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh -huh. I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. Um, I would absolutely love you to come back in in um, the next series, which I'll yeah. record start recording next year, because I'd like to hone down into working literally it's about females. Um, you know, that's what I'm passionate about helping uh, women from a confidence perspective mm -hmm. in fitness. Um, and I just think obviously there's so much that we could carry on talking about. I would love that's... to come back. I'll be Brilliant. in better shape too, because been in a year, I will have been running and working out, so I'm ready. <laughs> uh, excellent. But you were you were running this morning, you were doing yes. the gym, so, yes. yeah, so I'll give you yes. a, a high five there. Well <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. And I know I say this every week, but I really do enjoy uh, having the guests on the podcast and hearing their story, learning about their expertise, taking away valuable, uh, you know, nuggets of information, which I hope you are too, um, but also having fun. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed uh, listening to Dr. Angela, um, but also just that energy uh, between us in the conversation when in actual fact, the, the, the subject that we're talking about is, you know, very deep and serious and very troublesome for, for many women. So hopefully it's come across in a poignant but lighthearted way and that you took a lot of value from this episode. If you did, then please do share this to your female friends and and actually to, to family and friends in general. Um, this isn't exclusive to women. Having said that, we are moving into uh, talking about the issues that, that women do need to face. But that's good for guys to understand that as well. It's not saying that it's, you know, uh, it's a woman's world now. Um, it's it's just learning for us to to understand, to be better, to grow, and how we can all improve as human beings, because that's what we are. We're beings and we're human. We all make mistakes. We want to be better. We want to grow. We want to learn. We want to understand. And if we can do that and keep those channels of communication open, then hopefully you know, tomorrow is a better world and a better place. So I hope you took a lot away from this. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask Dr. Angela or myself, then do drop a DM as I'll leave the show notes, uh, how you can contact Dr. Angela on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me obviously on the Planted Mindset podcast or where I do most of my posting on sassy10fitness.com on the website and uh, sassy 10 fitness on instagram as well as facebook too uh, do reach out give us your feedback if you listen on itunes then please do go over there and give it a rating um, hopefully five stars i keep my fingers crossed for that one and if you feel inclined please do leave a review because that really does help with the algorithm and get this conversation out there for for more women to hear it and for them to take some confidence from it that it's not just them and i think that's one of the biggest things that i've learned on my journey you can often think it's only you and then you start speaking to people and you then begin to understand that this is not just in your own head this is something that all women are dealing with so yeah i hope you really enjoyed the episode do give some feedback um, and yeah, reach out if you have any questions that you would like to be covered or indeed, you know, the podcast is about fitness, mindset and nutrition. I always am excited to interview really great guests on the topics 
of fitness mindset and nutrition. So if you know anyone that you think would be a good fit, then please do reach out to me um, and let me know um, and obviously make that connection. Otherwise, until the next time, stay safe.